um, taking from the theme of the Song of Solomon one of the storylines in it, which is forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness within a relationship. If you have any kind of relationship, whether or not it's a romantic relationship, if it goes on for very long, you will need forgiveness. And the theme of Couples Garden in a Couple Week is on this topic of the grace and the mercy of forgiveness that we give to one another. And so I really want to encourage you um, to join us uh, for those of you who are married and for those of you who are couples, that if you'd like to join us and learn more about the power of forgiveness, um, please sign up and you can put it in there in your bulletin, um, I'm sorry, in, your, uh, in the offering bag later, or you can RSVP to Donna. Okay, so that's just something that we're excited about in the sense that being able to talk about love and being able to talk about passion and being able to talk about sex. And so this is something that God has given to us in his word, and this is something that God has given to us in our hearts and in our desires. And so before we begin looking at the Song of Solomon, um, I want to open in a word of prayer. So let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the hope that you give to us. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have now to look into your word, to see what you say, Lord, about what real love is. So, Father, we pray that as we begin, your spirit would minister to every heart here, every heart that is yearning for a love that seems absent or seems distant or seems broken. I pray, Father, that you would minister to each heart here with the hope of your power and the hope of your spirit, the truth of your word. And for every heart here that might be rejoicing right now in love, for every heart that is excited about the power of love, we pray, Father, that you would continue to teach them in your word the requirements of love and what's important in your eyes. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to look into this book, The Song of Solomon. May the truth in it be revealed to us by the power of your grace. In Jesus we pray, amen. amen. And so we are talking about the Song of Solomon. And just about every song that we sing at church is about love. In fact, probably most songs that we hear on the radio have the theme of love in it, in one way or another. There's a yearning for love. We talk about love all the time, and I think you would probably agree with me that love is one of the most misused and probably misunderstood words in our vocabulary today. We, we can love ice cream, right? You know, we can love books. We can love coffee. Uh, we can love movies, and we can love video games. We, we can love just about anything, but that's not what real love is, and I think we know that. And then the world will teach us about love, and it can become very confusing because love can then be identified by emotions or by sex. And the Bible doesn't say that that defines love either. We want to know what really is it that defines love? What is it that real love is all about? The book of Song of Solomon, or also called the Song of Songs, or just simply the Song is a book that teaches us about real love. It's not the only book, and it's not the most definitive book in the Bible about real love, but it touches on the topics of what real love is. All of us want love. 
And in the book of the Song of Solomon, we're going to talk about that desire. And that's what today's message is about. It's about desiring love. Because each of us was born with this desire to love and to be loved. It's going to talk about engagement and the excitement that a couple has as they're engaged. It's going to talk about the plans for an amazing wedding as we look into the book of Solomon. And then it's going to talk about the wedding night. And you'll be letting look forward to that message. And then it's going to talk about the commitment of marriage. It's going to talk about the conflicts that happen in marriage. And it's going to talk about the re-engagement, the hope, and the forgiveness that happens in marriage. And so all these things God has given to us in the book of the Song of Solomon. And we want to consider what do we desire? What do you desire when you think about love? That's a question that I pose to you right now, and I think that each one of us actually asks questions of ourselves when we think about love. And so today we're going to consider four questions that I think are really important, three of which I think are very natural for us to ask ourselves. And the fourth one, I think, is probably the most important question because it'll tie the other three together. But the first question, whether or not we say it out loud or even think it, I know that we all feel it, and that is, what do I want? When it comes to love, what do I really want? The Song of Solomon begins, as Ferdy read to us, with these words. Let him kiss me. What do you think she wants? She wants a kiss. She wants physical attention. There's something within this woman, and she's the, mo- the major speaker in our portion of Scripture today. There's something that she wants. Well, who is this woman? Um, We don't know her name. Um, She's identified as a Shulamite. In other words, one of the tribes there uh, among Solomon's many tribes that were under his leadership. And then this book is going to have three main speakers as we go through it. And if different Bibles identify them in different ways, there is, of course, this Shulamite, or we'll just call her the young woman or the woman. And then there is a man. And most people believe this man is Solomon. Seems identifiable as we go through it. That the man responding to her and the man calling out to her is King Solomon himself. And then there are her friends, or called the young women of Jerusalem. But she begins by speaking out, I want love. Well, Solomon, who wrote the book, begins by writing these words. The Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. Solomon's Song of Songs. And this word, Song of Songs, is it's like saying Lord of Lords or the Holy of Holies. It's a way of saying that this one is the very best. In the book of 1 Kings, the Bible tells us that Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. Over 1,000 songs. In fact, it says he wrote 1,005 songs. Only this one is in the Bible, because it is the song of songs. It is the best song that he wrote. The title of our series is The Greatest Love Song. And so Solomon is right about this greatest love song, and then we read the woman talking about love. And this is what she's attracted to. She's attracted to Solomon. She's attracted to this man. For those of us who are married, I want you to think about when you were first attracted to your mate. When you first met her, or you first met him, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? I remember 
when I first saw Carol, right, my wife. I remember I met her at a conference, and she was the registrar, and I'm walking up to the registration table, and I see her, and I'm attracted right away. There's an attraction. And you know what? My first thought was not, wow, I bet that woman has a wonderful personality. Huh? No, that wasn't my first thought, right? It was, wow. I was attracted to her beauty. I was attracted because she was a young maiden, right? And I wanted to find out if she was attached. And so I had to get to know her a bit. Well, obviously, you know, things worked out. But as time went by in the early part of our relationship, I was head over heels for her. And I would want to buy her gifts. I would want to be with her. We were separated by distance. I was living in San Diego at the time. And so I wanted to buy her a gift. My first gift that I wanted to buy her that would be significant, the first piece of jewelry that I wanted to buy her was a bracelet. And, um, and I have that bracelet right here. Okay? And actually, I keep it in my jewelry box. She doesn't keep it in her jewelry box. Uh, so it probably tells you something. Uh, but we won't try to figure that out right now. But anyway, so I, I asked Carol actually to get this for me out of my jewelry box. And um, so she did. And on the back, it says, love, Curtis. Okay? But um, her name is Carol, right? And, and Carol means song. And when I got to know Carol, I realized that her song wasn't me. And so on this, I wrote, which would be her words, Jesus is my song. And this was the first gift that I gave to Carol as a piece of jewelry. And it fits so well with what the goal is of this series. And the goal is what I believe why God put the Song of Solomon in the Bible. Now, the Song of Solomon is teaching us about true married love. But it is also reminding us of the love that God has for his people. In the Old Testament, it was common for God to refer to himself as the husband of Israel. That Israel was his bride. And in the New Testament, the Bible speaks of a husband's love and of a wife's love as being like Christ's love for the church, where Christ is the bridegroom. And the church is his bride. And so it is appropriate for us as we go through the Song of Solomon to know that the goal of all love is to lead us to God. And the goal of all love is ultimately fulfilled not in marriage, not in romance, not in sex, but is fulfilled in a meaningful relationship of the one who made us and the one who loves us more than anyone else can. And that is our creator. And that is our Savior. And so the goal of this series is that we, like this bracelet, might be able to all say, Jesus is my song. And that is the goal. But as we begin here, we see that we do want to ask this question. And we see that the woman begins to help us to understand what she wanted. What, does it, what is it that she wants? Let me read on from verse 2 through verse 4. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then the young women say, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. 
And so we see that this woman wants the physical attention of this man. She wants to be married to him. That's what she means when she says, take me away with you. They are in courtship right now. And if you look into your outline, you'll see a little box there, a little table. And this simply is to help us to understand the basic outline of the book of the Song of Solomon. There are eight chapters in the Song of Solomon. The first three, okay, at least the first part of chapter three um, and chapters one and two are about the courtship, about what we would call the dating time. And then beginning in verse six of chapter three, we read about the wedding between the Shulamite, this woman, and King Solomon. And in chapter five, four, we read about the beauty of the bride, all the way up to verse one of chapter five. And then chapters five through eight is about married love, about commitment, about conflict, about resolution, about the power of love as we learn to share it together. And so that's the basic outline. So right now, it's important that we understand that we're in the courtship time. And so this helps us to have a frame of reference for what dating is about and what's happening in that time of our life. What it's like to to meet somebody and to be excited or to want to meet somebody so that we can be excited. And what this woman helps us to understand is that dating and courtship is a time where desire is fueled by emotions and attraction by emotions and attraction. What, what fuels this woman's desire to kiss this man? Why does her, his kisses, they're like wine poured into him. They're more pleasant to her than wine. Instead of drinking wine with her lips, she wants to pour in his love. This is a beautiful example of poetry, of expressing emotion and the attraction that she has. And that's what happens in dating. Our emotions, our attraction to the opposite sex, That's what fuels our desire for them. That's why we want them, is because they're attractive and they touch us where we can feel it. But marriage, marriage is very different. Desire in marriage can still be fueled by emotions, and I hope it is. It can be still fueled by attraction, and mine still is. But marriage should be fueled by something deeper than that. It should be fueled by commitment. Marriage's desire for each other should be fueled by compassion, caring for each other, and be fueled by communication with each other. It is getting to know each other. And these three things, commitment, compassion, and communication, all come from a desire for character. Now, it's okay to begin a relationship fueled by things like emotion and attraction. But if a relationship is only built on those things, then the romance will die, if not the sense of committed love. But if our desire for each other, what we want is commitment, if what we want is compassion, if what we want is communication, and it grows out of our desire of character, then our desire for each other will grow as well. It may not be as flaming passionate as it once was, but it'll be deeper. It'll be more lasting. It'll be more mature. And so when she says that this is what I want, she understands that there needs to be something more than the kisses. For as she says, I want his name. His name is like perfume. It is his character that most attracts her to him. 
It is the character of a person that God wants us to want in another person. It is the character that God wants us to develop within ourselves. And so third point here under what we should want is we should want character most of all. We should want character in ourselves and in other people. And so this woman's filled with all these desires. She has all of these wants. And now she has this man just on the very tips of her fingers. She's ready to touch him. She's ready to reach out to him. And then she hears not only her praises for this man, but she hears the praises of all the other women, her friends, praising this man, King Solomon. And so it says at the end of verse 4, how right they are to adore you. In other words, she has heard the praises of the women, okay? The praises that said, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. She's heard and she understands that the other women are attracted to her man too. And so what happens if you like somebody and you know somebody else likes them too? Well, you become to question yourself. You begin to feel a little insecure. You might feel a little jealous. You might be worried. And so that's what's happening to her. She's beginning to question her own desirability. She desires him. She wants him. But she's not so sure he will want her. And so she begins to doubt. And we read about this doubt in verses 5 through 7. We read about these doubts. We read about her sense of, of desire for a man. She knows a little bit about herself. But she's also very self-conscious. Listen to these words. Dark am I yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. So she's speaking back to these women who also like her man. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the kents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? She has some fears. And we have fears. When we love someone and we begin to love them, we might worry, are we going to keep them? Are we going to get them? And this is what's happening to her. And so I think there's a question that we all ask ourselves and we fall in love with somebody or we begin to like somebody and that we're afraid of something. So we should ask this question, what is it? What is it that I'm really afraid of? What am I really afraid of? Now, she acknowledges that she's lovely. She knows this. But she knows this of herself. She doesn't feel other people necessarily feel that way about her. She notices that she's dark. And the tents of Kedar, Kedar is a community in that area where that community of people would make their tents out of black sheepskins. And so that's how dark her skin was. And these women are looking at her. They're staring at her, but they're not necessarily staring out of revulsion. They're not necessarily staring because um, they're judging her. They just notice she's dark, and she notices that they're looking at her, but she's very self-conscious. She's very self-aware of her appearance. And I think all of us have this fear, too, that our appearance isn't good enough. We're not as good as somebody else. And the one that we love or we want to love us may see somebody else who looks better than us. We may fear that we are not accepted because we aren't 
good enough. And I think that's what she was afraid of. But she was honest about it. And God put it in his word. And I think God put it here so that we too might be honest about ourselves. We may know there's certain good things about us. We may be able like her to say, you know what, I, I'm lovely or I'm handsome or, or I have certain character traits. We should acknowledge our strengths. We should be honest about our strengths. But like her, we should also be acknowledging our weaknesses and our own insecurities. We should be acknowledging the fact that there are hurts in our lives. There's a hint of strong hurt in her life there. When we see that, why is she dark? She says she's dark because she's had to work in the vineyards. Why did she have to work in the vineyards? It's because her mother's sons, possibly her stepbrothers, were angry at her. And so she was sent out to work out in the fields for long hours. There's some hurt in her life there. That's why she had to go out into the vineyards. And then she uses the term vineyard like a metaphor of her own life. So physically, she had to work out in the vineyards. But then she says, because I had to work out in the vineyards where it made my skin tart, dark and tanned, I wasn't able to take care of my own vineyard. In other words, I wasn't able to take care of my own life. I would have liked to have a more fair skin. I would like to be lighter the way I was born. But because my brothers were angry at me, something bad happened to her. She had to work out in the vineyards. And she's acknowledging this hurt. She's acknowledging her weakness. She's acknowledging her insecurities. I think this is so important for us to do too, to not have airs when we want to have somebody else get to know us or love us. I remember my first date, okay? I was 16 years old as a junior in high school. You know, I saw this girl and I thought, okay, you know, this is cool. You know, I can drive now. Um, so, you know, so I, I asked her out and lo and behold, she says yes. And so... Um, so I, I'm really, really nervous that day. I'm terrified, actually. Um, and, and, and my dad gives me a pep talk, and, and he sends me on my way, and he goes, oh, be sure, you know, take some candy um, and give her something when you go to the door. And I go, you know, give her candy. You know, why should I do that? And he goes, I don't know. It just works. Um, <laughs> And so, so I brought my candy with me. I'm so nervous, and I give it to her, and I, have, I meet her dad. You know, I talk to her dad, and I'm scared stiff. And finally, we leave, and we're in the car, and we're going off to this dance at school, and I'm terrified. You know, I'm so scared driving. And, and like, it's quiet in the car, right? You know, I don't know what to say, you know? And she breaks the silence, and she says, I know I'm not supposed to say this, um, but this is my first date. Oh, really? It's my first date, too. She shared with me her own insecurity. She broke the ice. Somehow, she just had the courage to say, she goes, I probably shouldn't say this. And I think there are so many times that we are so afraid to let our guard down, let somebody else know. You know, I'm really afraid to talk to you about this. I'm really afraid you might get mad at me. I'm really afraid that you'll reject me. I'm really afraid you don't like me. I'm really afraid that you won't forgive me or something else. I'm really afraid you just don't like my face. I'm really afraid you don't like my body. I'm really afraid you don't like my money. You know, I'm afraid you don't like my car. Whatever it might be. I'm afraid you don't like me. And so she's acknowledging her weakness. And we need to acknowledge this too. A third question then as we continue to build this relationship with somebody, 
And I think this is the question that, that's so important that we be honest about, because want and need are not the same thing. Okay? We've talked about what we want, but now what do I really need? What do I really need? Now, 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 remember now, she's just acknowledged her insecurity. She's just acknowledged the fact that she's hurting, okay? She's been hurt. She grew up in a family. There's some dysfunction there. She's carrying some baggage, and she's saying, you know what? I, I, I don't know if I measure up. And so these, now we read the first words of King Solomon here in his poem. And he says in verse 8, If you do not know, most beautiful woman, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats, by the tents of the shepherds. In verse 7, she had said that she wanted to find him. Tell me, you whom I love, tell me where you graze your flocks. In other words, I don't know. Tell me, where are you? Where are you? See, we feel insecure. We are looking for somebody to reassure us. She feels so insecure, and she wants to go find him and find out, what do you really think of me? I got to know. And this is what he says. You are the most beautiful of women. Right away, he ministers encouragement to her right where she needs it. Reassurance, reaffirmation. What do I really need is what she really needs. It's what we really need. We all need acceptance and encouragement. And this is what this man, this is what Solomon gives to her. He says, you are the most beautiful of women. Don't let your, uh, your doubts control you. Don't let what you think other women might think bother you. I think you are beautiful. And then look at verse 9 and 10. I liken you, my darling, to a mere harness to one of chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful. The ear with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. He's speaking to her words of endearment. He's called her beautiful. He's called her darling. This word darling is used nine times in the book of the, um, Solomon. And it comes from a root word meaning to guard and to care for with affection. To guard and to care for with friendship. To guard and care for with delight. And so he's saying, I want to protect you, darling. And you are so beautiful. He uses the word beautiful ten times in the Song of Solomon to speak of her, to assure her, to let her know what he thinks of her. And then he uses this language, using horses to help us to understand. And he says, you're like a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. You're like a mare among the chariots of Pharaoh. Now, the female mare was not used to pull chariots. The male stallions were used. And stallions were used to, to make more stallions, you know, to be the father of more of the, these horses. And so only stallions were used to pull the chariots to fight in the wars of Pharaoh. Now imagine what happens if you bring a mare and tie him up to there. What happens if you bring a woman into this place? Well, it's going to distract the stallions. It's going to distract them from doing what they're supposed to do. They're going to be excited about the mare. They're going to be excited about who she is. They're going to be excited about having a female. They're going to start fighting over her. They're not going to be able to do what they're supposed to do as a, a chariot leading the chariot for Pharaoh. 
And so what Solomon is saying, using this example of a mare, is saying, you're like a beautiful filly in the midst of stallions. You have the ultimate sex appeal. This is like a biblical way of saying, man, you are hot, right? This is what Solomon is saying to her. He's like, man, you go out there and men are turning their heads. You don't know how beautiful you are. The stallions are all hot for you, baby. And so this is what he is reassuring her, all right? This is what she really needs. She needs to be reassured. This is what we really need. This is what your man really needs. To be reassured and to be accepted and to be respected for who he is. Not for what he does and not for what he's done and not for what he can provide, but for who he is. To be reassured that you love him because of who he is, his name. And God wants us to know that he loves us in the same way too. That he loves us for who we are. That he loves us and he thinks that we are beautiful. And he calls us his friends. And so we have these questions that we might ask of ourselves, these three questions, as we think about, well, what do I really desire? But there's one fourth question. I said, I think this one's the most important one. And, I, and I'm sure that it is. And so this fourth question, and it puts the other three in their place, is what does God want? What does God want? And we should place that question before the other three. What does God want about what I want? What does God say about my fears? What does God want me to do with my fears? And what does God really want me to need? And so what does God want? There are three things that he wants. And I think the first thing is he wants us to ask that question first. I think the first question that God wants us to ask wherever we are in relationships whether we are single, whether we are engaged, whether we are newly married, whether we've been married a long time, wherever we are, is what does God want? God cares about our lives. Every part of it, every portion of it. And so he says, ask me. Ask me what I want. Ask me what I want in this area of your desire. Ask me what I want. Let me speak to you. Listen to what I say. And then when we hear him, when we know what he wants, then he says, I want you to trust me. And that's the second thing. He wants us to trust him and to wait for his timing for love. Now, if we're not yet married, he wants us to wait for the right one. And if we're engaged or we have a relationship, he wants us to wait. He wants us to wait for the best parts that we think there are of love. And we tend to think sex, I think, is the best part of love. It, it is a good part of love. When I was, Carol and I were going through premarital counseling, I remember one of our pastor leaders taught us, and he said, you know, sex is important, but it's not the most important thing. But it's like the icing on the cake. It makes something that is good, okay, and it helps to highlight it but you've got to have the cake before you can have the icing. You've got to have something that is good and valuable. And so here, God wants us to trust him. And if we're not yet married, God wants us to wait for sex. Three times in the Song of Solomon, the woman says these words, and you have them there in your outline. 
She says them in Song of Solomon chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 8. And what's important to notice about this is a couple things. One is the woman who says it, okay? It's the woman who says it, right? And she says it during the courtship time. And what does she say? She says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And she's speaking about sexual union in this. And what she's saying is, do not awaken love and all of its passions and all of its desires until the time is right. In other words, there needs to be a restraint on the sexual desires of love. There needs to be a restraint on the physical expressions of love until the right time. And so she says it right in the middle of passion of of chapter 2, verse 7. But then she also says it right before the wedding night. In chapter 3, verse 5, right before we start talking about the wedding, she says the exact same words. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And then after she's been married for a while, after she's experienced everything, she reaffirms it and she teaches it again to the women. She again says it. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. This is so important for us. Is that God wants us to know that he is in control of the ways and the times of our love. And he wants us to not only save sex for marriage, but when we are married, he wants us to know that he will bring all things together in his time. And we need to continue to be faithful. We need to continue to be persevering. We need to continue to be committed to the other person. Because all of our physical desires have a purpose that's greater than physical fulfillment. All of our desires, all of our physical desires have a purpose that is greater than physical fulfillment. And this is the last point, is what does God want? He wants us to know that our physical desires point to a deeper and spiritual need within us. He wants us to know that our physical desires point to a deeper spiritual need within us. We said at the beginning of the message that the goal of this message, the goal of all the messages, the goal of the Song of Solomon is to help us to see the love that Christ has for you and for me. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. God wants us to have Jesus in the middle of everything we do. God wants us to have Jesus in the middle of everything we do. A friend of ours, um, Carol's and mine, uh, when we were, uh, Gabriel was in high school, this friend of ours, she was very involved in the life of her children. And so um, she would go and actually volunteer to be like the chaperone of different events at school. And she told us about how she was a chaperone of this dance, um, at the school dance. And um, she was uh, only asked to be chaperone once. In fact, after this time, she wasn't asked to be chaperone anymore. And there was a reason, is that during the slow dances, um, she walked around to the dancing couples and she put her hand between them, okay? <laughs> sort of spread them, and she, and she said, Make room for Jesus. Make room for Jesus. And this is not a Christian school, all right? You know, this is Beckman High School. 
And so, so she's going through these, to these couples while they're dancing the slow dances, and she's going, make room for Jesus. And then, so we're talking, and she's telling us about this, and we're just thinking it's hilarious. She goes, and, and they don't want me to be chaperone anymore. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I, I can understand why. But I love her boldness, and I love her faith. And she has raised the most amazing boys, and, and she's raised an amazing family. She was a single mom at the time, and she's since been remarried. And, and, and that is what God is saying to you and to me. In our desires for any kind of relationship, make room for Jesus. Now, maybe you're going through a really hard time, and you think, man, this is, it's, it's impossible. It's not impossible if you make room for Jesus, where that hole is, where that hurt is where that loss is, where that pain is. Maybe there's a yearning that's unfulfilled in your life. Don't put it on somebody else. Put it on Jesus. Make room for Jesus. See, the whole of the Bible is about, I think, two words. The first word is not love. We might think it is. I think the first word is holy. I think that God's intent for us and for this world and for our lives is holiness. And I think the result of holiness is love. And God wants us to know that he is holy and right and just. And when we make room for Jesus in our lives and in our hearts, he brings that holiness in. And holiness is perfection. Holiness means that everything that happens there is done with God and with righteousness and with rightness. And so when God tells us that we have a physical desire that is meant to be fulfilled, it is meant to be filled in holiness. But it is also meant to show us that there is something more than our physical desires, and that is our desire for holiness, which is ultimately a spiritual desire for God. In 1 John chapter 4, you have this, these verses in your outline. The Apostle John writes these words, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. God wants to live in you. And he wants to give you his love because he is love. And if you have God in your life, then he commands us as Jesus did, to love each other, to love as he loved us, and to let that love that he has in us be expressed to others. We're going to continue to learn more about that through the Song of Solomon. But I encourage you this week to turn to Christ for your love and to give that love that he gives you to those you say you love or those you want to. Let us pray.